John chapter 13. Wow, thanks for braving the weather. Just because you know you can stay warmer when we're all huddled together in here, isn't it? John chapter 13 today, looking forward to this passage. Uh, this, in John 13, this is, this is the last night here before Jesus' trial. This is his last night with his, his disciples. And in fact, this account will take us um, from chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17. So we're gonna spend the next several weeks in this rich material that is his last teaching on earth for his disciples. He's withdrawn from public ministry at this point, and he's only with them. And I think, I hope, what we'll see this morning is this, that love is the defining characteristic of a truly transformed life. And we're gonna, we're gonna see it perfectly modeled in the life of Christ and ultimately, right, it culminates in the cross of Christ. So let's jump into this. Let's jump into this. First thing that we're gonna see is this, love received. Love received, verse one, chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Look at that again. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This word end, it can have different types of meaning. It can mean, first of all, to the end of his life. He loved them all the way up to the end of his life, but it also has this idea of to the full extent Right? He loved them as much as is possible to love them. He loved them completely, and he loved them until it was accomplished. And in fact, John chapter 19, verse 30, we see this same word used when Jesus is on the cross, and he says, it is finished. It's, it's ended. He loved them, and he loved them even to the cross. Listen, we're gonna be talking about loving like Jesus here in a little bit, but this is where it starts. Loving like Christ starts with being loved by him, receiving his love. Listen, maybe this is what you need to hear this morning. He loves you. How do you know, Nate? The cross, that's how. He loves you completely and perfectly and demonstrates it perfectly in the love of the cross. Receive his love. Love received. The next thing we see is love modeled. Love modeled. Look at verse two. He says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. This has already started. The devil has already done his work. Judas, Judas has already started down this road of betrayal. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. He knows he's the king. He knows who he is and what he will accomplish. And so, verse four, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments 
and taken a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Uh, in Luke chapter 22, the gospel of Luke, he fills in some of the details that we don't have here. And we know that right before Jesus does this, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. And so coming out of that, Jesus decides he's gonna give them an object lesson. And so he stoops, he takes the role of a servant, and he washes their feet, all of them, even Judas at this point. And he's saying, I wanna show you my, my love. I wanna show you my humility, and it's gonna point to something even greater. Look at verse six. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, well, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> this is classic Peter here. He comes and Jesus, I wonder how many people he went through washing their feet before he gets to Peter. And then he gets to Peter and Peter's like, well, you're gonna wash my feet? And Jesus is like, I love this. Look at verse seven. How sweet is this? Think about this. Jesus says, what I'm doing you don't understand. That's okay. You'll understand later. And Peter's response, nope, it's not happening. And, and Jesus here, he's like, this is a picture of what's coming, Peter. If you reject this, you reject me. And then Peter and all of his Peter-ness <laughs> goes, well, then not just my feet, Lord. Give me a bath. Like my hands, my head. I can almost picture him getting up, starting to take off his own sandals and splashing water on his head. He's like, let's do this. I want all of you. And, and this is, I mean, think about this with Peter. Like he wants sincerely to follow Jesus. And yeah, here he's, he's still rash and incomplete in his understanding, but he wants to be his follower. Keep going, verse 10. Jesus, so Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus comes back, he's like, you're clean, Peter, okay? You've, you've trusted me. You're completely clean. One of you, though, isn't. And I'm, I'm washing your feet to point to an even greater humility and sacrifice and servanthood that's coming that will secure your salvation. It will secure your, your spiritual cleansing. Peter, let me wash your feet. And Jesus models this incredible sacrificial love. Love received. Love modeled. Next, we see love 
imitated. Love imitated. Look at verse 12 there. And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place at the table and he said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and the Lord. And you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet because I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 14 and 15 here, Jesus is not saying, okay, you must do this feet washing practice all the time. Like literally, this is what I give you. It, this, it's not what's happening here. What he's saying is you should humbly serve each other rather than grapple and fight for greatness and significance and position and power. And that may mean that you wash someone's feet at some point. But the point of it is imitate your master. Imitate your master who is, who is the greatest at this table, who is the greatest at every table, and yet he stoops to serve you in the most menial of ways. Imitate him. Imitate his heart posture of humility and love that actually results in action, in doing. That's verse 17. Verse 17, like, you can almost read it this way. You could say, if you know these things, that's great. Blessed are you if you actually do them. He's like, this posture of humility and love rooted in the fact that you have received the love of Christ and now are imitating him. It shouldn't be just something that you know about, that you believe, that you know you should do. He's like, that knowledge should result in, should overflow in you actually stepping out in obedience to love each other, to serve each other. Love modeled, love imitated, love received. Now, love Rejected, love rejected. Keep going, verse 18. Jesus continues, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you for I know who, I'm, who I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. This is from Psalm 41. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place why? So that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Ego me. You may believe that I am who I am. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples, they looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. That's, in, that's incredible. 
Okay, see, what that tells us is Judas is so much a part of this group at this point. He has assimilated himself so much within the 12, he has faked it so well that they have no idea who Jesus is talking about here. And that's a, that's a good reminder, isn't it? Why? Because someone sees, someone knows. Christ does. Keep going, verse 23. And one of, his, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that's referring to John. We see him use that to reference himself here from now to the end a couple times. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. This is great Peter stuff here again. Because, because Peter, it seems as if, thinks that he's probably cashed in all of his question chips for the day with Jesus. And he's like, listen, Jesus wasn't super thrilled that I kept asking questions and not letting him wash my feet. So he motions over to John, who's right by Jesus. And he's like, hey, can you ask him who it is? <laughs> so Simon Peter motions, ask Jesus of whom he was speaking, verse 25. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. And so when he had dipped that morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're gonna do, do it quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. A couple things here. First, first, I think we're meant to recognize in this passage exactly who the enemy is. The disciples had been fighting amongst themselves disputing over who was the greatest. And here we're reminded who the enemy is. Church, the enemy is not us. It's Satan. And you see him, you see him here probably getting excited. Like this has been happening since Genesis chapter three. Right? We've seen this. And, and he's like, all right, this, he's gonna betray him. I've got my shot this is gonna be it. And the other reminder out of that that we need to remember is that there is a cosmic battle waging in this world. Satan will do and is doing and has done everything he can to destroy the Lord and his people. And we see that here at the end in, this, in verse 30 here. It also says this, it says, and it was night. I don't think that's there just to tell us what time of day it is. Since, since John chapter one, we've seen these themes of light and darkness that are going throughout this book. And Judas here, he leaves the light. He rejects the love of Christ that's even offered to him, I think right up into that last moment. And he walks out into the darkness, away from the light of the world and is lost. 
love rejected. Next, we see love commanded. Love commanded. You might be like, Nate, can love be commanded? Well, Jesus does. (laughs) This verse 31 through 35 here really begins the upper room discourse. Jesus is gonna now begin to instruct his disciples. Verse 31, when, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Verse 33, little children, this term of endearment, my children, yet a little while I am with you. Like you'll seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you should love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Uh, a new commandment. What, what's, what's new about this commandment? Because we know in Deuteronomy chapter six, we're told love the Lord your God with all of your heart, right? Leviticus 19, 18, we're told love your neighbor as yourself, the great and the next commandment. So, so what's new about this commandment, Lord? Specifically, like the ultimate thing that's new about this commandment is the standard to which we are called to love. Look at that. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Right? That's, that's so key to this because we're not left, we're not left to come up with our own definition or decide exactly what type of love that we are supposed to love with, right? Because we use, we use love in all kinds of different ways. I love pizza. I love Pacers games. I love hoodies. And I love my wife. I don't love all of those things in the same way. That looks different. So you, so you might come to this and go, okay, love one another. How am I supposed to love? And Jesus tells us exactly what that looks like. Love as I have loved you. Like you have And you will see the ultimate example of love and how Jesus loves. How does he love? He loves them more than he loves his own life. Right? His love here is is, humble, it's faithful, it's sacrificial, and it's for the glory of God. And he says, love like that. Love like me. Are you are you willing to die for each other? Are you willing to even die to yourself? Your own interests and preferences and wants and needs to serve one another sacrificially? Like, that's what's new in this. Now, you have seen exactly how you're called to love because you have seen the ultimate expression of it. And Jesus is like, love like that. That's my command to you, love commanded. Next, we see love announced, love announced. Look down there again, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. Verse 35, by this, all people, everyone, will know that you're my disciples if you have love 
for one another. This is, this is incredible. I, he's saying here, if you love each other as I have loved you, it will stand out as remarkable. It's, it's gonna be a testimony, an announcement to the world that you're my disciples and that it's all for God's glory. What he's saying here is love is the defining characteristic of a truly transformed people. Uh, this last week I was in a restaurant and I saw a guy and he was decked out from head to toe in Pacers gear. Right? He's got Pacers jacket, Pacers jersey, Pacers hat. And I walked up and I was like, hey, are you, are you going to the game? You know, it would have been odd for him to come back and go, why would I go to the game? I'm not a Pacers fan. I'm a New York Knicks fan. Why? Because he bore the marks of a, of a Pacers fan, right? We similarly bear the mark of love that distinguishes us from the world. Love, love, not the size of our church. Love, not our beautiful buildings and programs. Love, not how many churches we plant. Love, not your radiant sticker on the back of your car, which by the way, if you have a radiant sticker, just, just when, you, when you go to your car in the morning, just catch a beat and be like, how would Jesus drive? How would Jesus drive? Just, just saying, it's not that I've witnessed any of you doing otherwise, but how would Jesus drive? Love, love is what will set you apart from the world specifically here. Love for each other and love as a people. That's something else that's new about this command, right? Because this is, this is the beginnings of this new community called the church that's starting with the disciples and branches out to us, a community of people from all peoples that will be marked off by their love. And you, you might be like, well, Nate, you know, non-believers can love too. You're right, yes. God's common grace in the world allows them to love also, but they will not love as an overflow of having been transformed by Jesus. They do not love by his power and they do not love and will not love for his glory to point to his worth. That's our job. That's what we ought to be best at, isn't it? I, I watched this documentary the other day. I told you I love documentaries. And, and it was on uh, like animal photography, not animals that photograph, but that would be a whole nother deal. But extreme places where animals are photographed and they were in Antarctica and there was this, this, uh, this island of ice and there was like over a million penguins on this island. It was incredible, these chin strap penguins, they call them, they have this thin black strap and they're just waddling all over this island. And the narrator of it, he's like, he's like these penguins are just, they're awkward and they're clumsy on land. And sure enough, they, they use their wings to kind of help them waddle so they don't tip over. They trip, they slide all the way down the rock face. They fall over each other. He's like, they're completely clumsy. But then the second they hit the water, he goes, they're transformed. They're transformed into torpedoes. He called them sea ninjas, you know. He's like, and they're, they're going everywhere and they're scooping up the shrimp. Why? Because this is what they were built for. 
This is where they live. This is what you do if you're a, you're a penguin. You don't spend the predominant amount of your time waddling around on land. Instead, you get in the water and you swim and you eat shrimp, right? That's what it is. All right, all right hang with me. That's us, right? There's a whole lot of things as the church we're just clumsy at. Right? There's a whole lot that the world can look, can look from the outside in and go, wow, they're not really good at that. They're not really good at that. Oh boy, that's cute that you're trying. But they know how to love each other. Like almost inexplicably, they know how to love each other. They care for each other. They're there for each other. They walk with each other and they say, they say the reason that they do it is because they've been loved by God and they're doing what he does. That's how we're meant to be known. And, and let's just all be honest, right? It can be frustrating at times, especially looking out. You're like, oh boy, the church around the world sure is not doing a good job of that right now. But here's something to remember. We're not responsible for the church around the world. God has called us to be responsible to loving each other as he, as he has loved right here in this local church. And the powerful part of this, the incredible part of this that Jesus says is, he's saying our testimony in the world begins right here. So living as sent ones begins by loving each other sacrificially and selflessly and humbly and faithfully. And he's like, this will be so remarkable that it's gonna stand out in stark contrast to the world and it's gonna point to God's glory and it will distinguish you and me as followers of Jesus Christ. Think of it like this. It will be like a light shining, radiant against a bleak backdrop of darkness. And, and I just want to encourage you, even in this, I've seen you love each other in this way over the years. And I will say I have even seen in the last two weeks some beautiful examples of you guys loving each other in some of the hardest and most difficult times of life. And to that I say, keep going. More of that, Lord, in us and through us. When you think about this, I don't know about you, but it's, it seems pretty weighty to me, right? I mean, Jesus is saying here, you'll reflect me to the extent that you love each other as I've loved you. And that responsibility falls on all of us. Like, you should feel that weight, right? That's a, that's a calling. Uh, I watched another documentary, Don't Judge, It's Cold Outside. Um, and it was on, it followed for a couple months the life of an actor named Jonathan Rumi um, and if you don't know who he is, he's the actor that portrays Jesus in the show called The Chosen, okay? And, 
and it was, it's just, it was super fascinating. He's, he's learning, he's growing, he's trying to wrestle with what it's like to be a movie star and to be popular, and yet the weight that he feels portraying Jesus, like, and, and as I watched him wrestling through this, I, I couldn't help but think, wait, but isn't that all of our call? Like, we, we are meant to be visible representatives of an invisible king, our savior. And the Lord says, here, the way that you will do that is, is the way that you love each other like I have. And I'm like, I feel that weight and I'm not an actor. <laughs> like that's heavy, but, but, okay. We're meant to properly feel that. But I also think this calling ought to be light in a lot of ways. See, we're, we're not supposed to be crushed under that responsibility. Why? We don't do it alone, that's why. Like believers, we have the indwelling spirit of God in us, which by the way, that's another new thing above this commandment. He dwells in us, believers. He's helping us. He's changing our desires. He's making us more and more like himself. You see, this isn't, this isn't a, the defining characteristic because we, in and of ourselves, muster up enough willpower to love more. Good luck with that. Some of us at times are pretty unlovable. <laughs> This is a testimony. This love is a testimony because it's powerful, because it displays God's grace and his power, right? Not ours. It's, it's Christ in us that makes this Jesus-imitating, God-glorifying love possible. So yes, 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 for a moment, feel that weight, Right? He's, wow, that's heavy. But then in a second realize, but it's, it's not for me to do on my own. He's living in me. He's making it possible. He's changed me. He's loved me. That makes me light on my feet with this. Why? Because now we are free we are free to love like Jesus loves. We are free to glorify him in this way. And it is possible by his grace and through his power. Let's finish this last paragraph. Verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? So he must have thought it was okay to ask questions again here. Lord, where are you going? He, he totally missed the new commandment, didn't he? But, I, but I, could, I can sympathize with that because he's back here going, whoa, 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 wait. You said you were going somewhere that I can't come. Lord, what? what's gonna change? Where are you going? Like, of course he's worried. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you can't follow me. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
Jesus here and reminds Peter that only one person can die for the sins of mankind. Jesus is like, I must do this. I must die. Why? So you can follow me, Peter. You're not ready. You need to see my love ultimately displayed in the cross. You need me to be your substitutionary sacrifice and you need my indwelling spirit. But what's cool is he says, and then, then you will follow me. So how do we do this? How do do we do this? Because, right, we don't want to just know these things. We want to do them. And, Nate, there's there's a thousand ways that we can love each other, which, by the way, I'd encourage you in that. Yes, there are a thousand ways that you can love each other. This is, like, we can try to outdo each other in showing honor uh, by coming up with creative ways to express Christ's love. For each other. I'd even encourage you maybe this week, maybe in small group, maybe go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and there's this paragraph there that describes what godly love looks like. And I encourage you, like, hey, how can we love better? Like, where am I weak in this type of love? Where do I need to grow and ask God to help me? What are some things that I can do to tangibly express love for others? Uh, but be careful. Because remember, this, this isn't just more effort, more effort, more effort, more effort. It starts here. Okay, this, this must start within us. And so the proper place for us to begin is reflecting on and remembering Christ's love for us. Christ risen and crucified on our behalf. Uh, 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 says this, by this we know love. Look where it starts. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Growing in love for each other. It starts by remembering, I deserve Nothing from God, nothing. My sin is rebellion against him and separated me from him, but Christ, I deserve nothing. Just like that person sitting next to me this morning doesn't deserve anything from God. And yet, by grace, through faith in him, we have received everything in Jesus Christ. And we are sitting here, sinners saved by grace. We're sitting here once broken, but now new in him. And so so reflecting on Christ's love draws us back to him, helps us to love like him, and then to walk in obedience to him. And so I, I I can love that person sitting next to me. I can love that person in my small group with the love of Jesus and sacrificially serve them, why? Because I don't see them ultimately through the lenses of their sin. I see them through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. My brother, my sister in Christ, loved by God just as I am, undeserving of anything from him, but having received everything indwelt 
by God's spirit, just like I am. That's how we learn to love each other like Christ. We learn to see each other even after ourselves in the love of Christ. I think the best way for us to end today is by reflecting on Christ's love. And so we're gonna do that through communion together. So if you would, if you would take out that cup that you received when you came in this morning, and you can go ahead and take out the bread. Communion is our opportunity as a church, as believers, to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to remember Christ's love. And in remembering to to have an opportunity to reorient our lives in accordance with that glorious truth. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, we'll invite you to take communion with us. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, receive his love this morning. Right here, right now. You can place your trust in him and he will forgive you and he will cleanse you, and he will welcome you into his body, the church, and give you eternal life. You can do that today. Believers, on scripture says on the night when Jesus was betrayed, that should sit a little different, shouldn't it? On the night when he was betrayed, he took... He took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the cup now and Jesus continued and he said in the same way, same way he took the cup and he said, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, something else new. It's the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you. We we recognize we deserve nothing from you. And that you that you loved us to the end. Completely and perfectly taking the wrath of God in our place, our spotless lamb, our substitute to the cross. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you for your spirit in us by which you make it even possible to know your love and to love you in return.
Lord, would you help us as a people? Would you, would you keep daily in front of us the remembrance that we remember during communion of your love for us? I, I, everything hinges on that, Lord. Our lives, our existence, our our identity, our eternity is rooted in your great love. So would you help us daily to rehearse the gospel to ourselves, to remember how we are loved by you? And would you help us increasingly, Lord, to rehearse the gospel to each other, reminding each other of your love And would you grow, increasingly grow our love for you and help us to love each other like you do? It's hard, Lord. That's why we need you. That's why you've given us your spirit. That's why we rely on your power for it and not our own. And so help. And then, Lord, would you, would you, through that powerful work, shout your truth and your love and your glory to a watching world? And would we see many come to you through it? We love you because you first loved us in your precious name.